welcome to Shot Callers. I'm your host, Dennis Postema, and today we have a very special guest, uh, Dr. Alan Zimmerman, who at the age of seven, um, he started selling greeting cards door to door. By the age of 14, he owned a small international import business, and by the age of 21, he was teaching at the University of Minnesota. Um, and during that, the next 15 years, he was selected as an outstanding faculty member, sorry, by two different universities. At the age of 36, he retired from teaching and opened his own speaking and training company. That position has allowed him to deliver more than 3,000 keynotes, uh, keynotes and seminars in 49 states, 22 countries, maintaining 92% repeat and referral business, uh, which is amazing. Uh, of course, you might have seen him on CNN or the CBS Morning Show or any of the conferences that he's done or read one of his number one best-selling books. Um, on a personal side, Dr. Alan Zimmerman is a speaker, husband, father, biker, and hiker who has explored everything from the jungles of Thailand to the cold chill of the Arctic Circle. So please help me welcome Dr. Alan Zimmerman. Welcome, Dr. Zimmerman. You bet. Thank you, Dennis. What a nice introduction. <laughs> well, and I want you to know, uh, I've been a fan, so I look it up. I always like to look up how long I followed uh, people. And um, I, I've been signed up for your Tuesday tips since uh, July 12th of 2013. So... <laughs> So I've been so a big fan for, for a while. I've got your books here, as you can see up top, so that uh, we can talk about those some. Uh, so I've been a big fan for a long time. So welcome. Well, thanks so much. Uh, you're one of several hundred thousand have been reading the Tuesday Tips for a long time, and glad we can meet here face-to-face. Uh, -face. Yes, absolutely. Um, well, since uh, we are on a time constraint, I'll get right into it. So um, uh, what what is some people why do why is it that some people accomplish more than others and how why is it that they do it so much quick more quickly than most? I think those are two critical questions. In fact, the new book I'm releasing just the other day sent to the publisher publisher called The Champion Edge. Okay, I begin with those two questions. Why is it that some people accomplish so much more than others, and how do they do it so much more quickly? And what I find amazing as a professor by background, a researcher, and of course, professional speaker, there's nothing in the research that accounts for that. Right. You can attribute that to age, gender, education, nationality, political philosophy, nothing accounts for that success. What does make the difference? I'm convinced from my years of research, those who achieve the most have what I call the champion edge. Sure. In other words, they have certain practices that they have adopted, that they have mastered, okay. they follow carefully, and that results in them making a huge difference in their success level. Excellent. And, and on that, what, so first of all, I have a copy of The Champion's Edge, and we'll probably ah. put a downloadable link here as well. Um, and when does that book come out? Just really quick. It'll be coming out in February. Okay, February. All right. We'll definitely make sure we post something on that. So can you go into uh, like explaining what the Champion's Edge actually is and how do people get it? You saw the diagram there, everybody. Basically, it has six practices. The first one is about confidence, steadfast confidence, that people can spend years building up a tremendous self-esteem, self-confidence, and some jerk can rip it apart in 20 minutes. Right. How do you keep it strong all the time despite difficulties, circumstances, or other people? And we know it's critical because you perform exactly as you see yourself. 
you see yourself as so-so, a loser, going nowhere, that's where you'll be stuck. You cannot outperform your own self-confidence level. That's the first one. Okay. Now on that, on the, on the confidence, do you have, what do you suggest for people to, to not allow, cause it's so much easier said than done when I talk to people, when they, they get something, uh, what you, what did you say on your one video? Um, you could get told, uh, however many times that you're doing great, but if you do, if somebody tells you, criticizes you, all of a sudden you just knock it completely down. How do, what's your suggestion to that? In a, in a world where social media, you know, we had it just the other day, one person, we get 600 people that love something and comment, and then you get one negative one. What, what do you tell people to keep that from happening? When that does happen to you, that should be a sign that your confidence needs some work. Okay. When I began my career as a professional speaker, same thing would happen. I have 100 folks in the audience, 99 saying, this is great. It's changing my perspective, my life. Thanks so much. It's wonderful. One person might write, ah, waste of time, shouldn't have come. And I'd be focused on that one person for a long time afterwards until my wife finally confronted me and said, get off it, buddy. Nine out of 100 is about as good as you're ever going to get. <laughs> yeah. If, if you're complaining about those numbers, we're in trouble, right? <laughs> but a couple of things for building the confidence. One is you have to stop what I call the mind binders. Okay. It's our self-talk. If you're saying things like, I'll never get ahead. I can't save money. I won't get that promotion. I can't stop smoking. I can't stick to a diet. I can't save money. That's exactly where you'll be stuck. You cannot rise above your own self-talk. So catch yourself thinking those things, saying them. And when you do, talk back to yourself and say, stop it. Now just stop it. And by firmly repetitively talking back to yourself, you can stop that kind of input. That's one suggestion. And the other would be what I call survey your strengths. Okay. We've all got tremendous gifts, talents, abilities, some that are tapped into, some not even recognized. But I would strongly advise anybody to sit down and write down everything you're good at. And over the days, weeks, months, get 50, 100, 200 things you're good at. And when you're feeling down, beating yourself up, pull out the list, read it again. Remind yourself, I'm not a bad person just having a tough day. Be aware of your strengths. Yeah. And, and I, I love your positive self-talk and, and your positivity, your attitude, to, you know, talking about positivity because um, I, I do, we do what we call a victory journal and we write yes. down the wins for the day. And um, again, that's one of the reasons I've been following you for so long because it's such an inspiration. So self-talk, that's, that's a huge part of, <laughs> of people, um, that, that what they need to work on, I should say. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, compelling purpose. Compelling purpose, the second part of the champion edge. And that is I find a lot of people will spend their entire life saying something like, I don't know what I want to do when I grow up. Never quite figure out their purpose. And there's a lot more to life than having a job, getting a paycheck, paying off the mortgage. That's survival. It's not purpose. Purpose is a deeper driving force that makes us want to accomplish something, make a difference. That compelling sense of purpose, one of the deepest, strongest motivators there happens to be. And it might be as simple as writing out something, my purpose in life is to what? Fill in the blank. To improve, advance, uh, encourage, 
other people to such and such. It almost has always a component of making a difference with people in the world, that you feel good about it. It's not just you, not just me, me, me. But what is the difference I'm making on a larger scope in my work, in my family, in my world? A compelling purpose. And I, I love, you know, and just a quick question, not to interrupt on that, but on the payoff principle, is your new book, is it basically, is it diving into the, the payoff principle a little bit more? Because that, I mean, we talk about the three P's in there that equal the payoff. I love it, by the way. Um, uh, can, we, can we just touch on that and then talk about how that leads into the new book really quick? Absolutely. Give you a simple structure. The book you mentioned, the payoff principle, I have three chapters on just this topic on purpose. And a simple way of visualizing it is look at a three-legged stool. Okay. Each stool represents a different question. When you answer all three questions, you will find the top of the stool, which is your purpose. First question is, what are you good at? It goes a bit back to the steadfast confidence. What are you good at? Secondly, what excites you? What turns you on, motivates you? People are sometimes afraid of discovering their purpose because it might be something they don't want to do. Right. Working in a hospice, going to Africa to help the poor. You will never have a purpose that you're called to, that you despise, not excited by. So what excites you? And thirdly, what difference do you want to make? Do you want to change perhaps the success of your children? the people that you're leading and organizing, when you know those three answers or those three questions where they intersect, you get the top of the stool, the platform or your purpose. Okay. That's, wow, that's strong. What, what do you say to people who are completely lost and trying to find that purpose? I know obviously they definitely should read the payoff principle, <laughs> but uh, a, a, a short synopsis of what they should do as far as that goes for somebody who's really lost on that. Actually, I'll make it simple. Anybody can email me. It's just alan at drzimmerman.com. And I'll send you a nice 10-page white paper with all the questions. You can fill in the blanks. And you end up with an actual written purpose statement. Oh, that's excellent. That's a, Yeah, definitely. And I'll get that from you, too. <laughs> so, you yeah. Flesh out those three questions in great detail. Okay, excellent. Um, defined goals. Uh, can you go ahead and tell us a little bit about that and, and how to use affirmations properly? Yeah. Define goals is a third part of the champion edge. Okay. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people that don't have really any goals or very clear goals. They're somewhat vague. They're not defined. But without goals, you tend to wander and not achieve. Sure. You only got so much time, so much energy. You know, where focus that? What will make the biggest difference in your life, your world, your work? Define goals. And it has an awful lot to do with affirmations. Once you know what you want to achieve, maybe you want to be promoted in your company. Maybe you want to be in better physical shape. You want to improve your relationship with your spouse. Whatever you want, if you will put that into an affirmation statement, an affirmation is a statement of what you want to achieve said in the present tense. Instead of saying, I would like to be promoted to my company, say I'm enjoying my new position as the leader of Unit X. Instead of saying, I'd like to lose 20 pounds, say I weigh a slim trim and fill in the blank, how many pounds? Instead of saying, 
I would like to improve my marriage, say, my marriage is getting stronger and stronger every day because I do such and such and such. In other words, state your goals in the present tense and okay. keep stating them till they come true. One of two things will happen. You will either achieve the goals or you'll stop saying the affirmation. You cannot live in dissonance forever. Okay. And I have right here by my desk, my little four by six note cards. I write out affirmations every month. Some stay there for one month. I've achieved it. It's over with. Some I've had for two, three years. They're big, huge things. But figure out what you want. I'll write them in the present tense. Say them until you achieve them. Excellent. That's and do you see? Do you find that um, with people? How do you feel about writing down your goals and speaking them versus just you know saying, "Oh, I've got some goals." Yeah, you know, no, nobody doing smart goals or being having any definition with it because we do a lot of programming on this and talk to my my coworkers and whatnot. I just wanted to hear your point of view on it uh, compared to everything that's out there. I'm a strong proponent of written goals. It takes a little bit more time, which sure. first of all is an act of commitment. If you're not even willing to take the time to write them down, you're not all that serious about them. Right. Secondly, once you write them down, it sends a message to your subconscious mind of all those things in the world out there, all the possibilities, these are the few I would like. And once you write them down, your mind starts to work on those things. Instead of having a vague focus on a million things, now you've got five, 10 things you want to achieve. Absolutely, write them down. I say the same thing about affirmations. Put them on a card. Look at them. You'll eventually have them memorized in a few days after repeating them over and over again. But it's a visual and physical reminder of what you want to achieve. I love that. And I couldn't agree more. I do. I have a, a little card that um, I put together that has my affirmations slash goals. And I have one in my car. I have one in my wallet. And I, I tell people, I said, laminate it, cut it up, get it on some card stock. You know, there's those days when you, you're wondering, why am I doing what I'm doing? Or what was my purpose? And what and those, those constant reminders, even if they're memorized, sometimes reading it out loud and just reminding yourself why is huge. And there will be days we all get down, depressed, negative, discouraged, and you don't feel like doing your affirmations. Sure. That's when you need to do them the most. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You simply cannot skip. But the research tells us saying them to yourself out loud or in your head at least three times a day, every day until they're achieved. Okay. If you're going to do them today and then skip a few days, try it again, skip a few days, then forget this part of the program. Yeah. You don't displace years of negative mind binders by a minute here and a minute there. Yeah. But three times a day is not a big deal. Yeah. It's getting up in the morning as you're showering, you say your affirmations two, three, four times each. That's one set. Yeah. You get in the car, you drive to work. If you're still working, not virtually somewhere. Yeah. Same to yourself in the car a second time, three times a day, every day. The thing I love about that is, is what I always suggest to people is to put them in places. Like you said, when you get up in the morning, have them on the mirror in the bathroom, have them. It's just like, you know, eating junk food versus healthy food, whatever you've got in front of your face, it's a lot easier to do. And so, you know, I tell people, make sure it's in those places so that when you're, like you said, when you're down or having a bad day, right there it is. Great analogy. I like it, Dennis. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I definitely appreciate that. And the thing about goals that I see is whenever somebody goes to write them down, I love that you mentioned commitment because we, we pass out our goal sheets and, and do programs on it almost every year. And so many people start 
but it's amazing to see like if you have somebody pull out their 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 goals and what they were supposed to doing they started and then they stopped and they just never finished it and and it's uh so i love it you mentioned commitment because but you also mentioned too if you're not committed enough to actually write it down you know how are you really going to achieve the goal another peg you can put on the commitment is besides writing them down, which I strongly advocate, is tell somebody else what your goals are. The accountability. Yeah. All those programs, whether they call them 12-step programs or any self-improvement program, always has an accountability element. Yeah. If nobody knows you has, have a goal, it's all secret and private. If nobody knows it, nobody asks you about it. Right. Really easy to let that slide and never get accomplished. Yeah. Someone asks you every week or two, how's it going? I know you're working on such and such. What steps have you taken? Yeah. Chances are you will do something. Yeah. That's a, that's a great point. You know, having somebody calling you out and as far as accountability, that's why coaching works so well. I mean, you know, is because they're telling you a lot of times what you already know, except you can lie to yourself. You can't lie to them. They're going to call you out on it. You're exactly right. I have several coaching clients where I meet with them on a weekly basis or a monthly basis and it really is that sense of what are our goals? What do you want to work on this week? What are you going to do about it? And we check in the following week. Yeah. And uh, whether <laughs> I'm well-respected or feared, I don't think that's the case. But they don't want to come back to me and say, I, I didn't do anything. Yeah. They want to report something positive they accomplished. It's, there's something in there about disappointing others. You know, if for some reason we find that it's okay if we disappoint ourselves, but <laughs> I don't want to disappoint my coach. And it's just amazing how that works. But the process does work. I'm a huge believer uh, in that. So I can't, um, you know, I, I definitely think the process works. And it's just like an accountability for whatever you're doing, goals, anything. So I, I really appreciate that. Um, so tell me a little bit about uh, unwavering attitude. Um, I, I, want to hear your perspective on that because I know it's in the champion's edge here. Yeah, it's the fourth practice for the champion edge on wavering attitude. An attitude is a force to be reckoned with. It's not just positive thinking and everything's wonderful. It's a sense of energy, a force. You can buy some wonderful car like a Maserati, a Rolls Royce, and spend a half a million dollars, but it won't go an inch without gasoline or fuel. Right. And people are the same way. You can get them all kinds of degrees, certifications, education, but they don't go anywhere to use that information without the fuel to push them forward. And that's that unwavering attitude. Wow. And I strongly suggest if you're not positive and filled with that enthusiasm most of the time, simple way to do that. It's called the act as if principle. I'm sure you know about it. Yeah. Dr. William James, the father of American psychology, wrote this 100 years ago, and it's the center point of all psychology, even today. He said, if you want any quality in your personality, all you have to do is act as if you have it. You want to be more positive, enthusiastic, energetic, you act that way. And eventually you will feel that way and be that way. Yeah. And if you wait for your attitude to change, you will wait forever. It yeah. doesn't work that way. Doesn't just happen. Yeah. You can't just study it and then not do anything about it. Right. Exactly. How, how do you feel about when people, so, cause I'm huge on positive attitude, positive thinking. And I think that's a, a lot of my accomplishments. They need that key ingredient. What do you say to people who are like, 
oh, you can't, it's just, you know, it's not just about positive thinking for success and all those things that, you know, you hear some people knock it and it's like, to me, that frustrates me because again, I'm a huge at positive self-talk. There's so much negative self-talk out there. And so I guess, tell me a little bit about how you, how you answer that. When a person is cynical, they don't believe in positive thinking and they'll often say things like, well, I'm just being realistic. Sure. It's interesting that those who say they're just being realistic are almost always negative. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. And the way I look at that is to think it just might work. We have, according to brain researchers, something like 50,000 thoughts and ideas that vagrant through our minds. Right. Just stands to reason. Many of our ideas are innovative. They're creative. They're blockbusters. What does a negative thinker tell themselves when they get a new idea? Yeah. That'll never work. That'll never, yeah. They throw it away. And I would think some of those cynics would say, you know, if anybody would just invent such and such, oh, I bet they could become so successful. They thought, ah, oh, that would never work. They threw the idea away. And then two years later, opened up their <laughs> Facebook, yeah. LinkedIn, whatever, and saw somebody selling their product, making millions. Yep. Somebody doing it, yep. In the sense, every positive thing in our world was created by somebody who thought it just might work. Absolutely. In that regard, the negative thinkers have never been right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what I love about that, too, is I always tell them, you know what, is what you're doing now, do you feel like that's working? And usually you get the, you know, a negative answer of no, it's not working. Why don't you try it and, and just see what happens, where it leads you? Because what you're doing now isn't working. So why don't we try it this way? So, well, that's Dr. Phil's comment and he's right on target. How's that working for you? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. How's that working? Yes, exactly. So uh, tell, talk to me about positive change and the strategy of leaving as far as your comfort zone and whatnot. It's the fifth practice in the champion edge, what I call positive change. Okay. If you want more of anything in life, you want a better income, a higher position in the organization, a healthier body, a better relationship, whatever you want more of, always requires leaving your comfort zone. You can't do the same thing, same old way, and expect things to get better. Right. It's okay to rest in the comfort zone, but you really, if you want to achieve something, got to learn to work outside that comfort zone, taking some constructive risks. And uh, the unfortunate thing is a comfort zone for a lot of people, as they get older, gets smaller and smaller. Right. No longer risking anything. Same job, same policies, same procedures, same friends, same hobbies, same routines, get smaller and smaller. What the winners do, the champions, they do what I call the risk of departure. They leave the comfort zone, try something different. Yeah. No matter what happens, guarantee some growth. Uh, maybe your company's having a uh, holiday party. Yeah. And you're all invited to come along with your significant other. What does a non-risk taker do? If they even go to the party, they'll go for the whole group to see who do I know real well. I'll sit by them. That'll be yep. safe. But I decide to meet somebody new in the organization. I come over, I talk to so-and-so. And maybe they talk back to me. I suddenly realize, oh, I, I can start conversations. Yeah. I'm better than I thought I was. Yeah. Whenever you try something new and grow through it, you grow in terms of energy, self-esteem, confidence. You live by courage, not by fear. And how many times does that end up in such a positive light too? Something great happens from doing that at that party or whatever it may be that you didn't want to do. It was out of your comfort zone, you know? 
and they all tie together in a sense you cannot live in your comfort zone, afraid of trying something different, afraid of change, wimp your way through life and have great self-esteem. Yep. You cannot respect yourself if you live by fear. Oh, that's very well put. Very well put. I actually sat down with somebody and actually went through, I showed them they were working, a, they were taking a salary job versus commission and they were, they were offered the choices when I was talking to them. Yes. And I, so we sat down and we figured out where their commission would be at versus what their salary was. And it was like two and a half times. And they'd been doing this for 10 years, by the way. And it's like okay. two and a half times as much wow. in commission for the exact same job. They get to choose. It's not that their company chooses for them. And I said, wow. I said, if I had you doing that much business, I would gladly pay you that salary too. <laughs> You know, and they still didn't switch. They just could not step out of their comfort zone and switch to it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're, you're stuck there, you lose self-respect, but you lose opportunity also. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, um, I love the comfort zone thing. I, I always have everybody, I always tell everybody, do what are you doing this week? Start the week. What am I doing this week to step outside my comfort zone? Because you should be doing something every single week that's really making you uncomfortable. And I think there's a choice when it comes to new opportunities, and that is it's either risk or regret. Yeah. We take a risk, you know, a constructive risk, thoughtful risk. We either do it, give it a good chance, or regret the fact that we never even tried. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually, it probably for you, and I love this part about your story, is, is going door to door at such a young age. <laughs> Because um, I did that with, uh, we used to sell 50-50 raffle tickets um, yes. for our for 4-H. And uh, so my brother and I would get on our bikes. And I'm sure, like you, at first, it was you weren't like, oh, I mean, that's really comfortable. But then once you got good at it and started doing it, I mean, I, I guess I, there's something to be said about learning it at such a young age, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. I love it when I see young people being entrepreneurs, trying a business, doing something to move ahead, take a risk. Uh, <laughs> I learned so early in life, going door to door, that at one point by the age of 12, selling the greeting cards, I was the biggest salesperson in the whole organization across the country. And the president of the organization called to see who Mr. Zimmerman was and what was his secret. Didn't realize because she was calling a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> That would be a terrific phone call to listen into now, I'm sure. It would be fun. <laughs> yeah. Wow, that's, yeah, that's great. I, I love putting my nieces come after school and they do work for me and whatnot. And um, it's, you know, the first time they get a little pay, a little bit of pay, all of a sudden it drives them and they're like, hey, what do, we, what do you have for me to do today? So it's great. So um, I want to talk to you about uh, a thriving balance with the strategy of the eight dimensions of life. Um, and, and never being finished. Yes, the sixth practice in the Champion Edge is called Thriving Balance. To me, it doesn't make sense to achieve all your goals, for example, and burn out in the process. Right. It doesn't make sense to have a great job that pays well and have a lousy relationship at home. And my definition of thriving balance is simple. I use a, a wheel with eight dimensions, eight dimensions of life, physical, recreational, financial, occupational, social, mental, um, spiritual. And you, the secret is you must have something positive in every dimension of life. 
it's not balanced to physically have your body in great shape and be mentally stupid. Yeah. It's not balanced to financially make a good income, but hate your job. Far from balance. Must have something positive in every dimension of life. And you asked about the never being finished. Yeah. One strategy. So you keep yourself somewhat balanced. I suspect most of you listening are driving, striving kinds of people. Well, one strategy I had to learn the hard way because I tended too much to be on the workaholic side. Sure. That I would get all my work done and then I would have time for my family. Get all my work done, then I could exercise. Yeah. Took me a long time to realize I'll never be finished with everything. Right. And so the strategy is to accept the fact you'll never be finished and that's okay. Yep. No matter how hard you work, how fast you work, on the day you die, there'll still be a few things left in your inbox. <laughs> Good point. And so to give yourself permission to be a bit human, I want you to achieve, to strive, to be a champion. There's no need to burn out in the process. We're too smart for that. That's, and that's a great way of putting it. There has to be a positive in every eight, every one of your eight dimension. That's, I've never heard that before. That's such a, that's a very good point. Well, using that diagram of the wheel, a lot of people have a wheel that doesn't really roll very well. Right. One slice of the pie is in great shape, such as uh, occupational. They have a great job, but uh, relationally, their life's a mess. That's not balance. That's misery. Right. Yeah, yeah. And all that can go away, too, if you're miserable in one area. Right. Or, or uh, with all the arguments going on politically these days, sure. to me, it's not balanced to spiritually have your values in good shape and relationally can't get along with anybody. Yeah. Doesn't make sense. Right. Yeah, you're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I, and I want to encourage, too, um, I, I, do you have anything else that, get, that, we, that we missed, first of all, during the interview that, we, that you want to share with our viewers? Well, I think people need to realize that we have tremendous amounts of untapped potential. People think they can't do better. They've been conditioned to think that way. We think when we lose that promotion, get a setback in a relationship, well, it wasn't meant to be. No. We're conditioned to sometimes think we can't do better, and that's almost always false. Be careful putting limiting beliefs on yourself. You take the Olympics, for example. Almost all the gold medalists have tremendous stories of overcoming great difficulties. Nobody thought they could have been a winner, but they used these practices we're talking about today and up at the top. So don't be tipped off guard by a, a simple setback. Yep. That's a time for a lesson, not a quitting session. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah. And use it as a motivator. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. That's wow. Terrific. And that's, and I also want to encourage, I, I want you to let everybody know how to get a hold of you because like our, your service book is awesome. Your, your website is so, has so much information as far as I sent the service video, the customer service video to all of my uh, uh, employees Ah. So they could see it. Um, so I love that. Um, how, do, how does everybody get a hold of you? Well, my website is very simple. Okay. It's www.drzimmerman.com. That's drzimmerman.com. You'll find there tremendous numbers of resources. I've written over a thousand articles. You have access to all of those free of charge. 
you get my Tuesday tip. We've got about 200,000 people to get my tip every week. If you want that, <clears throat> you just go right to the website. You'll see a place, Tuesday tip, sign up, you get a free subscription. And I love it that when that comes in on Tuesday, some, it's like, it's like you're always talking directly to me. You know, you know how those things work, like a good devotional. I just, it's like, Oh yeah. Okay. So I love that. So, well, I, I would want to tell you, I can't thank you enough for being on our show. Um, we greatly appreciate it. I, I want to, I want to do this again when your book comes out and let's kind of delve into that would be great. Um, thank you. My pleasure, everybody. Thanks for listening in. It's my honor. Thank you. We appreciate it. Bye-bye.